Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a four-week teaching series called Generous Living. Together, we're learning to manage our money well so we can live a generous life. Thanks for listening. Well, as already has been mentioned today, we are kicking off a new series in the month of December, or November. I'm getting ahead of myself called Generous Living. And in this series, we want to dig deeper into what is one of our core five values as a church family. Now, if you were here a couple months ago, Pastor Jeff stood up here and he shared kind of the renewed vision we sense God wants us to go after as a church. And let's just remind ourselves what that is. Would you read this out loud with me on the screen here? We want to see people of every generation giving themselves fully to Jesus and his mission. And we believe one of the ways we give ourselves fully is by by becoming whole life stewards. Whole life stewards. Now, when we talk about stewardship, there's many areas that we could discuss. We could talk about what it means uh, to steward our bodies. We could talk about what it means to steward our time. We could talk about what it means to steward the spiritual gifts that God has given us and how he wants us to use those for his glory. But in this series, for these four weeks, we're going to dig down deep into one specific area. How do we steward our finances? How do we steward the money that God has entrusted to us? Now I wonder, I bet you may be wondering, why in the world would a church spend four weeks talking about something so unspiritual as money? Well, I will give you two reasons. There's more reasons, but here are the two I've been thinking about. First and foremost, last year, we had a consultant come in to our church and just help us see things. And one of the things they did is a demographic study of the Springfield area. And one of the questions they ask people is, what are your primary problems or your primary concerns? And of the five concerns that people raised in the Springfield area, two of them directly were tied to finances. One of them was indirectly tied to finances, and it was about health care, which really does come down to finances a lot of the times. Now, I find that so interesting, and I would bet that that is not just true of the Springfield area. I would bet that is concerns that people have all across this nation right now. So, number one, this issue is a problem in our society today, and it's a problem both inside the church and outside the church. Now, the second reason we want to address it is because, let me challenge you with this, money actually is a spiritual issue. Money actually is a spiritual issue. I know talking about money can seem kind of mundane or kind of boring or routine or unspiritual, but actually, according to God and his word, how we handle our money, our finances, has eternal implications for us. I read somewhere this week that God speaks about money or stewardship or generosity in the Bible more than any other topic other than love. Jesus, when he was on earth, you read this in the Gospels, constantly he's talking about money, including things like, hey, as much as God has given to you and trusted to you, I expect you to invest that. I expect you to use that well, and it's going to have implications for you both now and forever on how I want to bless you and encourage you and use you. So if you're on your notes, listen, our spiritual life is directly related to our financial life. Our spiritual life is directly related to our financial life. And listen, just as God has been generous to us in unimaginable ways, especially of the sacrifice of his son on a cross— The risen Jesus invites us as his followers to imitate that same life of generosity towards others. Generosity. This is to be a mark of disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, I've shared this before, but this is such an interesting idea. The great historian Rodney Stark once did a study 
of the first century church and why the church exploded in so much growth. Why did the church grow so much? And what he found was that there were two distinctions the church had against the culture in which they lived. And it was these two things that really caused people to be attracted to the message of the gospel. The first one, we've talked about this before, was their radical sexual purity. It was just so unlike what was happening in the, tr- in the culture of that time. Women, especially, who were often used and abused, were attracted to the message of freedom found in the gospel. But the second thing was their incredible generosity, especially to the least of these, to the poor, to the sick. Just this amazing generosity that attracted people to the message of Jesus. And I'm willing to bet, friends, that that kind of generosity would still make a mark in our community today. If you're on your notes there, as followers of Jesus, we can make a mark in this world by generous living. We can still make a mark. Now here's the thing. I really believe that most of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, you want to do that. You want to live a generous life. However, there are sometimes things that get in the way for us to be able to do that. And so in this series, what we want to talk about are four of those things that might keep us from generous living. And this morning, I'm going to tackle the first of those things, maybe the hardest of those things. It's the issue of debt. Now, let's just be honest here. This is a really difficult subject to talk about because it affects so many of us. America is listed as one of the wealthiest nations in the world, and yet the average debt of its, Amer- of its citizens continue to weigh us down. Just got the latest study done, just done this fall by Rachel Cruz and her financial ministry, and it showed that over two-thirds of all Americans are in some sort of debt that doesn't include mortgage debt. The average debt load per person, take a guess. What do you think the average is? Think in your mind. What's the average? Tell your neighbor. Here's my guess. $34,000, and most of that is credit card debt, the study showed. Now may, you may be thinking, yeah, those millennials, it's all because of them. No, it shows that every generation is equally affected by this debt problem. And so bottom line, debt is a problem for people both inside and outside the church, and the good news for us is that God has some wisdom on this issue. And so for the rest of our time this morning together, I want to do three things with you. I want to answer three questions. First question is, why does having debt even matter? Is it really that big of a deal? Number two, this is the hardest one, why do we get into debt? Why do we actually get into debt? And then last but not least, we hope throughout this whole series to be as practical as possible. But let's talk about some ways we can begin to get out of debt in our lives. So before we do that, would you mind bowing your head one more time and let's give this to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your wisdom, for your word. As we're going to learn, you want us to be free. And sometimes debt keeps us from that. So Lord, I pray that we could see what you have to say, that we could have hope, even if we have no hope right now, and that you would give us what we need in order to live a debt-free life for your glory, so that we can be generous in all we do and say. Amen. So first, why does debt even matter? Why does it matter? I'd like you to read Proverbs 22.7 on your notes there with me. Would you read it? It says, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. So if you're following, debt matters because debt puts us in bondage to another. It puts us in bondage. 
God wants us to be free, and yet debt imprisons us. Now, I bet this is something every one of us has experienced at some point in our lives where debt impacts, listen, our ability, not our desire, not our willingness, but our ability to be as generous as we'd like to be because we're bound to our debt. For example, maybe you come to church sometimes and you hear about some initiative we're doing. And you're like, I want to be a part of that. I mean, Brian wrote about it in the bulletin column there, right? Next month, we're going to have this opportunity to be generous. And you're like, I want to be a part of that. I want to give money. Or maybe your workplace is raising money for some good cause. Or maybe you get a letter from one of your lifetime friends who's going to go into the mission field and they're asking for support. And in your heart, your conscience is saying, I want to give, give, give. But Visa is saying, pay, pay, pay. And guess who wins? Your master, your mortgage company, your credit union, your American Express, they win. And so listen, if you're on your notes again, debt also hinders our ability to be as generous as we want. Scripture uses strong language there, right? We are slaves to debt. Beyond that, though, let's just talk practically for a minute. Let's be honest. What does debt create in our lives? It creates worry creates stress, it creates fighting, bondage, bondage, bondage. I have never, ever, ever heard anybody in my entire life say, ever since we got into debt, our marriage has been so much better. Back before we had payments, we fought all the time, but now that we have payments, (laughs) stress-free life. No, there's a reason money is one of the top two reasons couples fight today. Earlier, I mentioned that study on the amount of the debt Americans carry. The thing I found most eye-opening in that study, listen to this, wasn't the amount of debt, but that the thing 25% of people in debt envy most about their friends and family is a debt-free life. This beat out their cars, their homes, their clothes as the primary source of envy. Now think about that. Isn't that incredible? Because the reason we often get into debt because we want those very things in order to impress those very people. But the study shows us that they're more impressed with a debt-free life than that brand new Ford F-150 that you're gonna pay off for the next seven years. And that really leads to that second question I wanna address here, which is why do we get into debt? Now let me just start, first of all, by saying right off the bat, if you're on your notes, sometimes debt is based on circumstances beyond our control. Sometimes debt is based on circumstances beyond our control. Times when a husband or wife is left in financial ruin because of a divorce. Time when a family member is in the hospital and the bills just pile up or the prescription drug medicine just can't be afforded. Times when a natural disaster comes and just hurts a community in huge ways. Now that's not what we're talking about right now. I'd also want to add one of the main questions people ask is having a mortgage debt okay? Is having student loans okay? And my answer to that is that's a different kind of debt because those kinds of debts are an investment as long as they're within our means and we're able to work to pay them off. We're not talking about that, right? We're talking about piling up what is called consumer debt, buying things we can't afford, and so we just put them on credit card at high interest loans. If you're following, my hunch is more often we get into debt because we have a more problem. We have a more problem. Let me read a parable by John Ortberg that gets to the heart of this. This may be my favorite illustration ever. It's a little bit longer, but I think it's worth it and gets to the point. 
He says, once there was a young girl whose parents took her to the shrine of the golden arches. There, she saw an opportunity to buy a combination of food and a little toy that someone in a fit of marketing genius named the Happy Meal, the meal of great joy. May I have it, please, she asked her parents. I gotta have it. I don't think I could live without it. No, her parents told her, the toy's not worth the money. It's kind of cheap. No, we're not going to buy it. But you don't understand, she said. I want that Happy Meal more than I've ever wanted anything in my life. And if I get it, I'll never ask for anything again. Not ever. No more complaining, not from me. No more demanding. If you get me that Happy Meal, I'll be happy the rest of my life. This seemed like a pretty good deal to her parents, so they bought it. And it worked. She grew up to be a contented, grateful, joyful woman. She lived with serenity and grace. Her life, in many ways, was hard. The man she married turned out to be a louse. He abandoned her with three small children and no money. The kids, too, were a disappointment. They dropped out of school, sponged off her meager resources, and eventually left home without ever calling. Old age was hard because she'd been counting on the pension she had built up working for her company called Enron. But she never complained. She had gotten the Happy Meal. She would think of it often. I remember what great joy I found in that meal. Just as she predicted, it brought her lasting satisfaction, and she was grateful the rest of her life. He goes on and says, now does life ever work that way? You'd think after a while, kids would catch on, wouldn't you? You'd think they'd say, you know, a happy meal never actually brings lasting happiness. So I'm not going to get suckered into it one more time. I'm not going to fall for it again, but it doesn't happen. When the excitement wears off, they need another fix, another Happy Meal, but they're never happy for long. In fact, the only ones that Happy Meals make happy is McDonald's. You ever wonder why Ronald McDonald wears that stupid grin all the time? Billions of Happy Meals sold, that's why. He finishes by saying, of course, only a child would be so naive, right? Only a kid would be so foolish as to believe that an acquisition could bring lasting contentment. Or maybe not. Maybe when we get older, we don't necessarily get any smarter. Our Happy Meals just get more expensive. Now, the reason I share that parable is I believe, like I said, there's a direct correlation between our debt problem and the false promises this world offers through Happy Meals. Through Happy Meals. All day long. I'm telling you, all day long we are bombarded with two messages. One message is simply this. Your life isn't as great as it could be. Your life isn't as great as it could be. Second message is, but we have the solution. If you just buy this, you will be content. Your contentment is just one happy meal away. But the truth is, if you're on your notes there, our happy meals never bring lasting satisfaction. In fact, as we've already seen, the constant pursuit of happy meals only brings what? Bondage. Spiritual bondage as well as financial bondage. Paul wrote about this in 1 Timothy chapter 6. In fact, I'd like you, if you brought your Bible, to turn there with me so we can read these verses together. If you're getting used to where things are in your Bible, it's almost near the back of the Bible, so flip to Revelation and start turning left. If you don't have a Bible, we always have Bibles available in the seat in front of you there. You can find 1 Timothy 6 on page 962 of those black Bibles there. I'm going to be starting in verse 6 of chapter 6. Here's what Paul writes. But godliness with contentment is great gain. 
For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Now read verse 9 on your notes out loud with me. It says, People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. And he finishes in verse 10 by saying, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Listen, is money evil? No. The love of money, the love of stuff, the love of happy meals is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Same thing, Proverbs 22, 7. More often, we get into debt because we think stuff can fill the hole in our lives that only God can fill. To use Paul's word is we're discontent instead of being content. Maybe if I had this, maybe if I drove this, maybe if I bought this, maybe if I lived in this, I'd be happy, finally. Or I'd feel better about myself. And so even though we don't have the money, we pile up the debt. But what we discover, tell me you've discovered this, is we never find true contentment by adding more and more stuff. Here's the problem, though. It's so easy to do it today. We all know in this room that all it takes is a little plastic card and one signature. And we can bump up our standard of living just like that. We can bump up our standard of driving, our standard of vacationing. I can bump up the screen that I'm watching on, my shows, and how thin it is, and how high def it is, just like that, just with one signature. And I got to tell you, I'm just as tempted as anybody in this room to use debt to do that. Credit cards have just made it so easy. Did you know that on average, consumers spend 23% more money when they use credit cards than when they pay with cash? Why? Out of sight, out of mind. Future problem. I'll deal with that some other time. I got to have this happy meal now. Now listen, credit card companies know this. And it's the reason why they press so hard for us to sign up for their cards. Make no mistake, even with 1% cash back, they're coming out on the better end of this deal. Because they're relying on people for their companies to not pay off their balances. And so listen, If you buy something for $5,000, this is just how the math works, and all you ever do is pay off the minimum, it will end up costing you three times that amount in the end. Credit card companies depend on those individuals to make them profitable. In fact, did you know that they have a name for people who pay off their balances every month? Have any of you heard this before? You know what they call people like that? They call them deadbeats. And I would just say, that's one time I don't mind being called a deadbeat. Some of you remember way back in the day, a system that we had in this country where if you wanted to buy something, let's take a washing machine, you need a new washing machine, you want to buy a new washing machine, you would go to the store and you'd say to the owner of the store, I want to buy this washing machine, but I don't have the money for it right now, so here, I'm going to give you $100 right now, would you hold on to the washing machine for me? And then next week, I'll give you another 100 And the week after that, I'll give you another 100 When I finally pay off the washing machine, I'd like you to deliver it to my house. Anybody remember what that was called? Layaway. If you're under 20 in this room right now, you're like, that is so dumb. <laughs> Why wouldn't you just buy it with the credit card? But you see, there was a time in this country where if you had debt, it was evidence that things weren't going well for you. And somehow, we've kind of flipped that around and said, I have to prove to people that things are going well for me. 
And I'll use debt in order to get there. So people used to avoid debt like the plague, but today we don't avoid it. They would put things on layaway. Can you imagine that? Now, the cool thing about layaway, think about this, is when you make your final payment on layaway, the thing that you purchased is brand new and you've paid for it. In our system, by the time you make your last payment on something, you don't even know where it is. It's in the basement. You already gave it away. You ate it. It's not returnable. It's not refundable. It's not shiny. It doesn't smell like leather anymore. This is exactly what Jesus warned his disciples about in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6, 19 and 20, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. How do we do that? How do we store up? How do we invest in our future eternity generous living? When I turned 16, my parents gave me my first car. It was a Chevy Citation. My, my brother drove it, my sister drove it, and then it was passed on to me. And let's just say this, never once when I was driving to school did I think, oh yeah. <laughs> this is really gonna impress the girls. But here's the thing, at one time in history, somebody drove off the lot with a brand new Chevy Citation and they did think, oh yeah. Maybe not with a Chevy Citation, but <laughs> you get the idea here, right? Now let me ask you the question, where is that Chevy Citation now? It's in the junkyard. It's exactly where Jesus said it would be, right? Rusting, rusting. This is why Paul in our passage said, you brought nothing into this world and you're not gonna bring anything out of this world. And so why are we spending so much of our money and time and resources buying things that are gonna rust and decay and rot? Instead, listen, you can make an investment for your eternity, Jesus said. How? Through generous living. What God wants for us is to be free. So we can make an investment on our eternal future through generosity. Now, if that's what you want, then that leads us to this last section. You may be sitting here thinking, I agree with this. I want to be out of debt. I understand debt has put me in bondage. I want to live generously, but I look at my current situation. And I just don't see a way out. I don't see any hope. I got to tell you, regardless of how much debt you're in, I really believe that anybody can get out of debt if... They really want to, and if they're willing to take the steps to get there, if they're willing to do what it takes. I just had a conversation about this whole big idea with my son this week, you know, a 13-year-old. He has all these grand visions for what he wants to do, and what I said is, we all do. We all have visions of who we want to be, where we want to go, you know, visions of I'm going to lose this much weight, I'm going to get in shape, whatever it is. We have visions, and yet a lot of us, and I clue myself in this sometimes, I don't really want to do what it takes to get there. I want to wake up tomorrow morning having lost 10 pounds. But you know it takes steps. If you want to be an Olympic athlete, you don't wake up going, hey, I'm an Olympic athlete. No, you work. You take small incremental steps towards the vision. And so if your vision is to be debt-free, then I just got to tell you, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take discipline. It's going to take small steps. So let me just mention three of those steps I think it's going to take. Number one, and this may sound so lame, 
but I believe it's central. Practice gratitude for what God has already given you. Every day. Every day, practice gratitude for what God has already given you. Remember what Paul said in 1 Timothy 6? I'll remind you up on the screen here. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Now here's the key. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Will we? Are we? We have way more than food and clothing. Every one of us in this room has more than that. And yet, are we content with the good gifts, what God has given us? How do you get content? Well, you take stock of all the riches God has given you. As we've discovered, people often get in debt because they're not satisfied with what they currently have. They need more things, new things, in order to feel fulfilled. But Paul and Jesus both tell us the secret to fulfillment in your life is contentment. I came across a prayer by William Boyce this week, and I thought it fit well into this. You can follow it on the screen with me. He says, Dear Lord, I have been rereading the record of the rich young ruler and his obviously wrong choice, but it has set me thinking. No matter how much wealth he had, he could not ride in a car, have any surgery, turn on a light, buy penicillin, watch TV, wash dishes in running water, type a letter, mow a lawn, fly in an airplane, sleep on an inner spring mattress, or talk on the phone if he was rich then what am I? Listen, if we practice the habit of taking stock daily of the riches that God has blessed us with, we will cease to seek satisfaction through more, more, more stuff. Number two, second step of getting out of debt is learn to practice the discipline of self-control. I don't want to do that. Self-control. You read Proverbs 25, 28 on your notes there with me. It says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. What happens in our lives when we lack self-control? I'm not just talking about finances in any area. In our moral lives, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our workplace. What happens when we lack self-control? We're like a city whose walls have been broken through. We're allowing the enemy to get a foothold in our lives. Did you know self-control is one of the fruit of the Spirit? What that means is, if we're walking in self-control, we're walking in the Spirit. When we're not walking in self-control, what are we doing? We're giving up that life to walk in our flesh. We're giving ground over to our enemy to come into our lives and begin to destroy what we've tried to take care of. It applies to all areas, but especially to finances, right? Self-control, by not exercising it, we give up control to someone or something else. And again, that sounds a lot like bondage to me. When we don't have self-control, isn't there less peace? Suddenly, you're not really in control of your life. You look what happened in your marriage, your relationships, your anxiety level, all because, in many cases, starting way, way, way back, You made a decision that lacked self-control and you allowed the walls of your life to be penetrated by someone or something else. Now, why would we do that in order to live a different, or drive a different kind of car or live in a different kind of house or wear the latest fashions that change every year or six months anyway? Why would we want to give up our freedom? Why would we want to stop walking in the spirit? Why would we allow our defenses that we've created and we've tried to be disciplined, tried to do the right thing? Why? Why? Because we lack self-control often. That's it. 
And so starting today, here's my challenge to you. If this is a challenge you need to hear, with the Spirit's help, I will have the self-control to not take on any more debt. Now, I know what we're talking about when we're talking about finances is really complex and it's difficult to understand at times. So I found this video that I think might be able to help us understand what I'm talking about here. Take a look at this. It's not that complex, right? But it is hard. If you're following on your notes there, here's the key, right? This is where the rubber meets the road. We must be willing to adjust our lifestyle. We must be willing to adjust our lifestyle. And that means not spending beyond our means. Listen, I don't know what that means for you. Maybe it means you don't go out to lunch every day. Instead, you bring a bag lunch to work. Maybe it means you don't have to see the movie in the theater. You can wait for it to be at home where you can rent it. I don't know. You don't have to stop and always get something at the store. You don't have to go to Amazon.com every day. I don't know what it might mean, but where can you practice self-control? Some of you need to hear what I'm about to say because this whole service, here's what you've been thinking. You've been thinking this is the lie that most of us believe when it comes to paying off debt. You're thinking it's an income problem. But what I want to say to you is that financial freedom is not based on how much you make. I'll say that again. Financial freedom is not based on how much you make. It's based on how much you spend. I mentioned that study twice already. One more time here. Debt affects every income level in this country. It affects every income level. Financial freedom doesn't come by making more. It comes from spending less. That means no matter how much you make, you can be financially free. You just have to bring your spending in line with your income. And that takes self-control. And Jeff's going to talk about that a lot more next week. But let's move on to the third key to getting out of debt. If you're on your notes, name reality, make a plan, and take action. Here is what we have to recognize. Don't miss this. You can wander into debt, but you can never wander out of debt. You can mistake your way into debt, but you can never mistake your way out of debt. You can stumble into debt, but you can never stumble your way out of debt. That's why we need a plan. And this is spiritual. This is scriptural. Again, Jeff's going to talk more about the plan next week, but let me just get real practical right here now about how naming reality is the first step towards financial freedom. In fact, turn your notes over for a second. I've printed on your notes a little tool there. Some of you have seen this. It's nothing new. I didn't create it. It's been used for years and years and years. It's called the debt snowball tool. And here's how it works. I'm going to have an example of one up on the screen for you to follow on your notes there. Number one, here's what you do. You want to get out of debt? First, you got to even know what debts you have. Bankers will tell you that almost 50% of Americans don't even know all the debts that they have. So number one, you list out all of your debts, starting with the lowest one to the highest one. So number one is the lowest debt, not, not counting percentages or any of that. Number two, you list out how much you still owe on these debts. Number three, you list out the minimum payment you have to make on each debt. Then, and here's where this tool begins to work, you take whatever extra income you were using to pay off those other debts underneath number one, and you just start paying the minimums on those. You take all that extra money and you apply it to number one there, the first debt, along with, if you're convicted today, like, yeah, we need to apply even more of our income to paying off debt, then you apply that all to the first debt. Now, this is why it's called a snowball. After you pay that debt off, you apply all of that money to the second debt, including still paying that monthly interest. And you can see how this begins to build momentum and momentum. It's why it's called a snowball, right? Just like a snowball going down a hill, it begins to pick up more and more and more momentum. 
For some of you, you know, oh, that's not something I can do on my own. We're in such trouble. We're in such a mess. I need more help than this little tool. Well, we want to help you as a church family. That's why regularly we offer a class like Financial Peace University. In fact, you can see there on that back of the notes again, we're going to be offering it again come this January. If you want to sign up today, if the Holy Spirit is prompting you, then do that. Use that little link there and you can sign up for that class. But here's what I want to challenge you on. If you do sign up, commit. I know how this works, right? That's like over two months away. Today, I feel convicted. It feels urgent. But two months from now, eh, it doesn't feel as urgent unless you just piled up more debt for all the Christmas presents you bought, I guess. Now, I know it's not easy for us to admit we need help. It brings feelings of guilt or shame or fear, but I would say ask anybody who has done it, who has gained financial freedom, and they would tell you all of that is worth it. It's so worth it to be free in order to live a generous life. So whether you want to use FPU or that's too far along for you, we have some resources that the staff compiled. These are some of the resources that have helped us as a church staff. They're going to be out in the lobby there. Uh, We're not making any money off of those. We just want to offer them as an opportunity for you to begin to take action. Name reality and make a plan. Like I said, next week we're going to go deeper into this. So these two messages are really intricately linked. I hope you come back. But today, here's all I hope you remember. God's wisdom to his people is get rid of debt to be free to live generously. Get rid of debt to be free to live generously. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that your word is so practical. doesn't just talk about huge things like salvation. It talks about things like how we handle our resources, how we can be stewards of what you've given us, how we can lay up treasures for eternity. I want to pray for anybody in this room right now who is just being overwhelmed by debt. They understand that it is bondage. I pray more than anything that you would give them a sense of hope today. That with your help, They can get out of debt and live a free financial life in order to be generous as I know they want to be, as you have already been with us. We pray this together in Jesus' great name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.